0: My name's Warwick, and it's my privilege to open the Scriptures for us this morning. I want to begin by saying that billions, literally billions of people throughout history have known it, said it, prayed it, misused it, misunderstood it, and maligned it. It's the Lord's Prayer. You can find it in both Luke and Matthew's Gospel. Many of us were taught it as children. We've prayed it before bed. We've said it at funerals. We've, we've used it when we haven't known what we should pray for. It's been used as a punishment, hasn't it? You know, go and say three Lord's prayers and Hail Mary. Uh, we've abused it trying to win God's favour and deal with our sin. It's been used to open parliaments. It's used at the end of church services. It's sung, it's chanted, it's mumbled, it's used as a mantra, it's memorised. But I want to suggest to you, for many of us, it's not understood. And that's a problem. You see, for many of us, we're so familiar with the words of the Lord's Prayer that we've rarely stopped to ask, what do we, or what do they mean? So let me ask you this diagnostic question. You might be familiar with the Lord's Prayer. If you are, let me ask you this. When you pray it, what are you actually asking God to do? Well, let me put it to you another way. Jesus taught the disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer. Let me ask you, what would it look like if our Heavenly Father answered the prayer? What would happen? What would happen in the world? What would happen in our lives? Today we're going to begin this new series called Pray Like This and and over the next six weeks we're going to be lifting the lid on the Lord's Prayer and we're going to discover that it's actually spiritual dynamite, it's cosmic C4. It's actually going to blow our worlds apart as we know them. And I suspect that if people knew, if they actually understood what they're asking for when they prayed the words of the Lord's Prayer, my guess is that most of us would run a mile we'd never pray it because this prayer is subversive. It's revolutionary. It's it's, dis, it's a disruptive agitator. Quite simply, the Lord's prayer is dangerous and it should be handled with care. So what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks is we're going to be taking these words of Jesus, this extraordinary prayer, and we're going to discover that it's actually six very simple but world changing requests. We're going to be taking them and we're going to be unpacking them and thinking about what will happen when our Heavenly Father answers. What will happen, if you like, on a cosmic scale? What will happen in our world and what will happen in our lives? Now, my longing as we go through the series this is that this prayer is actually going to change us. It'll change how we speak to our Heavenly Father. It'll change what we ask him for, what we long for him to do in our lives as well as in his world. Our hope as a team is that this series will will see us as God's people praying like this, as Jesus would have us with his agenda shaping and driving ours. Today, all we're going to do is look at the first four words of the Lord's Prayer. Put them in modern English. They are, what are the first four words? Our, no, not who art in heaven, modern English. Our father in heaven. That's all we're going to do. We're just going to at four words. How about we pray that God would give us insight, our heavenly father would give us insight into his word. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and our loving heavenly father, we thank you that you are just that. Speak to us this morning through your word and help us to understand it. Help us to know how to speak to you as a heavenly father who knows us and loves us and values us and listens to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, here is an outline of where we're going today. Now, the Lord's Prayer is found smack bang in the middle of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. That is Jesus' epic sermon that he preached right at the beginning of his ministry. Uh, and it's in Matthew's Gospel between chapters 5 and 7. He he, he, uh, he, spoke, he taught this sermon when he was sitting uh, on the mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee. It takes up three chapters, chapters 5, 6 and 7, and the Lord's Prayer is smack bang in the middle of chapter 6. It's spoken in the midst of a bunch of things that Jesus taught the crowd about their relationship with their Heavenly Father. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, pray then like this. And the implication from the context is pray then like this as I'm about to show you and not like that as I've just been describing. For you see, from the very beginning of the chapter and all the way through it, Jesus attempts to undo the crowd's thinking about their heavenly father and about how they can get what they want from him. Jesus wants to, if you like, reshape their thinking about their giving, their prayer, and their fasting, about their relationship with their Heavenly Father. And he tells them how not to do things. That is, how not to pray, how not to give, and how not to fast, as he hammers three groups, the the hypocrites, the manipulators, and the accumulators. Instead, he says, pray, give, and fast like this as you engage your heavenly father and not like them as they seek to use their heavenly father for their own ends let's head to chapter 6 and verse 1 let's firstly see how we mustn't pray so that we understand how we should Jesus says in verse 1 beware of practicing your righteousness that is you're praying you're giving your fasting before other people in order to be seen by them That is, your righteousness, yours and mine, it's not to be a spectator sport. It's not for the benefit of others. It's not so that they can see you. It's so that you can engage with your heavenly Father. In other words, says Jesus, if you play to the crowd, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So with your giving. That means no trumpet, no fanfare, no boasting, no letting anybody else know. Don't be like the hypocrites, he says, who want to be praised by others for their generosity because they, says Jesus, have received their reward. That is, they've got the empty praise of others and it's all they'll get. It's the same with your prayer. The hypocrites love to stand in the synagogues and the street corners and pray. Why, says Jesus? So they can be seen by others. Don't pray like that, says Jesus. Because as Jesus says, they've received their reward in full. The only thing they'll get is the empty praise of others. They'll get absolutely nothing from their heavenly father because they're not actually speaking to him. They're speaking to the crowd. They're looking for a return from them. And it's the same with fasting. The hypocrites, they disfigure their faces so that others will see that they're fasting and you know be impressed by their piety, how religious they are. And again, they get their reward, but not from their heavenly father, they get it from others. They get the admiration, the, the empty and completely useless praise from people, and they get not a jot absolutely nothing from their heavenly father because they don't know the heavenly father they don't understand him and they certainly don't trust him in the lord's prayer jesus says pray then like this not like the hypocrites and certainly not like the manipulators either now now the manipulators those those are they who love to heap up empty phrases They'll, they think they'll be heard for their many words. They think, look, if I just keep asking, I can wear God down. Huh? They think if they just keep asking, they can change God's mind. If they, if they use more words, if, if they have more people praying, if, if they pray for longer, that God's will can be bent to theirs. His will can be bent by their words, by the force of their persuasion or by the intensity of their religious zeal. They think they can manipulate God to get what they want from him. But they don't know their heavenly father's heart and nor do they know his love for them. Look at verse 8. Jesus says, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Don't treat your heavenly father like an idiot. Don't treat him like you can manipulate him. You can't. Pray like I'm going to teach you. Don't pray like them. And and don't be like the accumulators either, says Jesus. The accumulators, they're those who lay up treasures on earth. Treasures, you know, those those good things that look secure, that look dependable, until they're not. Until our Heavenly Father forces us to see that He's the one who is secure and not them. Our treasures, they look like they'll provide for us. Until moth and rust come in and destroy, or thieves break in and steal. Steal everything we've accumulated. Or in 2022, you know, the stock market goes down 20% or a global recession looms, or geopolitical strife and war take away the security that we've worked so hard for. Verse 19, don't be like the manipulators. Because, verse 21, for where your treasure is, where your security lies, where you go to feel safe, there your heart will be also. The accumulators They love the things that they have. They love them more than they love the one who gave those things to them, more than they love their heavenly father who has given us everything that we have. You see, the accumulators, they love their possessions, their cars and their houses and their savings and their their businesses and their jobs. They, They love anything that leaves them feeling more secure. Here's the thing, we always end up serving the very thing that is the source of our security. There's a problem with that, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Now, remember in the first century, your master was more than just your boss. Your master was your patron, your protector, your provider. He was the one who had waster who could care for you. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then the punchline, you cannot serve both God and money. We can't love both God and money. We can't trust both God and money to provide for us. We can't expect both God and money to be patron, provider, and protector. We'll always end up choosing one over the other. And all too often, money, doesn't it? Money inevitably wins because money is tangible. You know, we can touch it. We think we can control it. We get to decide how we'll use it. It's ours and it's in our hands. Unlike our Heavenly Father, who we can't see, we can't control, who decides for us, who we have to trust, we do that trusting by placing ourselves in his hands and his control. And for many, that's scary. That doesn't feel secure. It doesn't seem wise. It seems scary and insecure and unwise until we stop and remember just who it is that our Heavenly Father is and and how much he cares for us. But here's the thing. As Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6, he introduces the crowd to his prayer and he says, pray then like this. And he makes sure in chapter 6 that they know just who it is That they're going to be speaking to as they pray. Just who it is who is going to act for them. Know their heavenly father as he is. Not as they might imagine him to be. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our father in heaven. Now for some of us, that one line is enough to shut us down emotionally. Because our relationship with our own fathers is or was fraught. Now, God may have given you, and you ought to be grateful if he did, a brilliant dad who was kind and generous and supportive and strong, who was always there, who was always in your corner for you unconditionally. Or you may have had a dad who was absent and abusive and authoritarian, someone who was threatening and tight with money, he may have put you down. He may have left you feeling unsafe, unloved, or unwanted. My own relationship with my own dad was at best complicated. I grew up, or grew up rather, ra- rarely feeling like I was accepted for who I was. I rarely felt loved by my father. I knew that I never measured up to his standards, that I was a disappointment, that I was never anybody that he could be proud of. One of the best bits about dating Caroline from my mid-teens was her dad. John was a legend. He invested in me and taught me about what it meant to be a father. It wasn't until my mid-30s by God's grace and his work changing me and changing my heart as he dealt with my bitterness that my dad and I could get a, a degree of resolution. But here's the thing. My dad wasn't perfect. Your dad wasn't perfect. And I'm not the perfect father either. My kids can... But here's the thing. Our Heavenly Father is exactly and perfectly what a father should be. Always completely and constantly he will never ever ever let us down and notice this he's our father he's your father and my father together he's our father that is none of us have missed out we haven't missed out on having him as his father but together he's ours we're family And when we speak to him, we speak to him as the perfect father. And we have the status of his beloved children. I love the way that Paul expresses it in Galatians chapter 4. I love the way that he shows us what it means for God to be our father. It means that God has taken the initiative to care for us. Look at verse 4. Paul writes, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. God sent his only son to take on flesh and die in our place to pay the penalty that we owe. The penalty we owe for not loving him as father, for rejecting his love for us. He sent his son, verse five, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, ladies, if you're a lady, can you just put up your hand? If you're not sure, keep it down. <laughs> right, ha- ladies, hands up, quick! I need to see you. Okay, this is absolutely for you. This verse is brilliant. Put them down now. This verse is brilliant for you, because in Paul's culture, like in some of our cultures, only sons inherited. Only sons had the full rights. And here, notice this, men and women together are all sons, irrespective of our gender. We all share the same status as sons, with all of the rights and privileges that come with it. He goes on, and because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, our adoption isn't just legal, it's emotional and it's deeply personal. God didn't just sign the adoption papers with the blood of his son. He poured the spirit of his son into our hearts. He placed the spirit of his son inside us, changing our hearts so that they can cry out to him with the deepest of affections as a son cries to his father, Papa, Dad, Abba. He's given us his Spirit so that we can love our Heavenly Father as Jesus loves the Father. So that we can love our Heavenly Father as he loves us intimately, deeply, and richly. And that, friends, that's what it means to pray in the Spirit. It means to speak to our Heavenly Father as Father with the affection, with the trust, with the assurance that the Spirit brings to our relationship with him. So says Paul, you're no longer a slave. You're not a slave, you're a son. And there are consequences. If you're a son, then you're an heir. And all of that through God. Which means that when you and I come to our heavenly Father, we don't come as beggars with no rights. We don't come as slaves with no expectations and no status. We come as sons with full rights as heirs. There are only three people in the world who get to call me dad. Their names are Lizzie, Tom, and Pete. They're my kids, and they have a special place in my heart that nobody else has. You and I, we have that same place in our Heavenly Father's heart. So when we come to Him in prayer, when we come as sons with His Spirit shaping our hearts to trust Him and love Him and serve Him, we come with confidence. And this, by the way, is for every single one of us, no exceptions. It's not something that just pastors get. Every person who follows Jesus, who has been forgiven by him, is a son, is an heir of God. I am, you are, we all are. Now, let me tell you, I love the privilege of praying for people after the gathering down the front. It's an absolutely appropriate thing to do that as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, we come to him and ask him to act for each other. It's right and proper. It's brilliant. But, but I actually have a problem with it. See, here's where I have a problem. If somebody thinks that I am, Warwick, more God's son than they are, I've got a problem with that. That is, as a pastor, they think I've got more waster than they do with God, that, that my prayers can achieve more than they, their prayers can. I've got a problem with that. I've got a problem if anyone thinks that they need a human intermediary, that they need another person, a patron, to get access to their heavenly father. Because you simply don't. I have a problem if somebody thinks that there is another person on the face of the planet who has more access to their heavenly father than they do. That the Heavenly Father listens to them more than to, to the person who's praying. That the, the, the Father would answer that person's prayer more than mine. Because there is no such person. Now some of you might object and quote James 5.16 at me. It says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And some of you will say, ha! See, Warwick? Ha! All right? Yeah, look, read that. No, 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 no you're a pastor, you're a righteous person, your prayers are more powerful and effective than mine. At which point I want to go, yeah, nah. I'm going to agree with you, but disagree at the same time. Yes, I'm righteous. We've got to agree on that point. And yes, that also means that my prayer is powerful and effective. But here's the thing, and it's a massive thing, it's a big but, it's the biggest but of all. But no, I'm not righteous because I'm a pastor. I'm righteous because Jesus died for me, and his righteousness is mine. I'm righteous because I'm a son of God. Which means that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a son of God, you're righteous too, Jesus died for you. His righteousness is your righteousness. And that means that your prayer is powerful and effective too. See, told you you were wrong. Your prayer is no more effective than mine and mine is no more effective than yours. We're as effective as each other. That's kind of cool. So come and I'd love to pray with you. But come as a son, righteous. Come as a daughter, righteous. As we ask our Heavenly Father to work for each other. Come not just have me pray for you. Come and pray for me. Because I'd love you to be praying for me as well. Because your prayer is powerful and effective. Let's get rid of the lie. And that's what it is. Straight out of the mouth of Satan. That any pastor... Has more access to God than you do. It's just a lie. Put it to death once and for all. Let's put this stupidity about pastors and prayer to death now. Here's what I want you to do take out your phone, turn on your camera, and turn it to selfie mode, which is probably where it is already. <laughs> I know you guys. Everybody, take out your phone. All right, take it out. I need you to take a selfie. All right. get your best Instagram pose, <laughs> take that photo, All right, get the photo, have a look at the photo, that's mine, particularly attractive, don't look at me though, I want you to, what I want you to do is I want you to have a look at the face on the screen, don't look at me for a minute, look at the face on the screen and I want you to recognise this, that person in the picture is a son of God, Now, as a son of God, through the spirit, the bearer of that face has complete unfettered access to their heavenly father. No one, no one on the planet has more access to God than the person on your screen now. That is seriously cool. When the bearer of that face... And stop looking at it now because something bad will happen. (laughs) When the bearer of that face speaks to their heavenly father, he listens and he knows. He knows exactly what we need. See, remember, we're sons. We don't need to manipulate our father. We don't need to badger him. We just need to remember that we're always welcome and that he knows. Check out chapter 6, verse 8 again. Jesus says, don't be like the Gentiles who try and manipulate God. Why? Because your father knows. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so we ask confidently because he knows what we need. Here's a question for you, though. How many times should we ask? How many times should we ask our Heavenly Father who knows what we need before we ask? How how many times should we ask? Let me be a little bit provocative. I reckon that once is enough. I reckon you've got to think carefully about why you would ask twice. See, I'd be cautious about asking a second time if it's an attempt to manipulate your heavenly father. I'd be cautious about asking a second time if it's a tactic to try and put pressure on him. I'd be cautious about asking a second time or a third or a fourth or an umpteenth time unless it was a clear statement that we already know that he's heard and we're simply expressing our ongoing trust in him. Trust that he knows, that he's heard, that he's acting. Let me give you an example. I've been praying for my sons since before they were born. I pray for my sons who are not yet believers all the time. And every time I pray, I ask God to save them. Not because I expect once I've got to 10,001 times, he'll finally give in and save my sons. Not at all. See, when I pray, I say, Father, I know I've asked you before and I know that you've heard. I just want you to know that I'd really love my boys to know you as I do, as their heavenly Father. I just want you to know that I know that I can't save them. I can't change them. And I want you to know that I'm trusting you too. See, I'm leaving my boys in your hands you're my father, you know, and I trust my boys to you. Let's pray like that. Not only does our heavenly father know, Jesus assures us again and again in Matthew 6 that he will act for us. Remember what Jesus said? He says, when we give in secret, your father who sees in secret will reward you. When we pray in secret, your father who sees in secret will reward you. When we fast in secret, your father who sees in secret will reward you. That word reward simply means something which naturally flows from our labor or toil. When we labor in giving, in praying, in fasting, our father will see, will hear and will act there's simply no thought that he wouldn't he will act because our heavenly father really does value us values us actually more than we give him credit for remember what jesus said in matthew chapter 6 verse 25 he says therefore i tell you do not be anxious about your life in other words because you know what your, your father knows what you need before you ask, because you know that he'll hear you when you ask, because you know you can't serve both your heavenly father and the things that are your treasures, because you know that your heavenly father is trustworthy, because of all this, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or, or, your, or about your body, what you'll put on. Think about it, says Jesus. Is not life more than food? And for everybody but teenage boys, the answer is yes. right? And the body more than clothing. Teenage girls. The answer, yes it is. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Here's the punchline. Are you not of more value than they? Answer... Oh, yes, you are. You're a son of God. The son of God himself died for you so you could be a son of God. You've been given the spirit of the son of God to dwell within you. You are righteous in the sight of God. He continues in verse 27. And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? Answer, no one. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither spin nor toil. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not so much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Look, the grass is of absolutely no value. Grass is completely disposable but not you, not not a son of God, so will he clothe us? Oh, absolutely, yes. Therefore, verse 31, don't be anxious, don't be insecure, don't forget your value to your heavenly Father. Don't say, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, they seek after these things. The Gentiles, they're the accumulators. They don't know our heavenly father. They don't know how much our heavenly father values us. The Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. He knows. He will provide. So instead of being anxious, instead of accumulating, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things, they'll be added unto you. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be unpacking the six requests in the Lord's Prayer. And they're going to help us think through what it means to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. We're going to discover that the Lord's Prayer is absolutely obsessed with the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. But for now, let's pray like this. Let's pray as sons. Let's pray as sons who know that their father loves them and values them and hears them and will answer them. Let's pray as sons who know that they've been given the spirit of the son of God. And let's cry out to our heavenly father with confidence. Will you pray like that this week? I think you should. How about we do it now? Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, again, we want to thank you that you are just that, a loving Father. We thank you that you're a perfect Father and that you know, you know us. You know all of our needs even before we ask. We thank you that you value us so much. We thank you that you've given us your Son. We thank you that you've poured the Spirit of your Son into our hearts and we thank you that you've changed us so that we can trust you. We can cry out to you. And we can confidently know that you hear. And so, Father, change us. Teach us to pray like this. Teach us to pray as sons. And help us to start this week. And, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory's sake. Amen.